Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are someone that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you've come to the right place. You don't have to call yourself anything. We don't have to use any labels. You're just someone that knows something isn't working for you and you want to make an intentional change. Let's go. Welcome back. I have been brainstorming just some ideas around the podcast subjects to talk about. And I thought, well, why don't I go to my TikToks and see what really resonated for people? Although I will say the TikTok algorithm is really bizarre. So it's not that it's not spot on, but it's kind of bizarre. Like some of the things that you think are going to happen do not happen. And the stuff that goes viral is really interesting to me. But I posted, I think it was about a year ago, about drinking culture at work. And it was something that I had not really thought much about because I was always a drinker in the work environment. But I was starting to get more and more clients just saying, this is really hard to not drink in kind of these corporate work environments. And the cool thing now is to have the beer fridge that's stocked for everyone and to have bourbons after, you know, a meeting, you know, all these things that like these, especially smaller companies are allowing. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but I do think we have to be cautious that we're not alienating some of our workforce. So here are some things I've heard from clients. Also, I'll weave in some of my own personal experience. So I had a client that I worked with for quite a while. She was more in the HR space of things, but she was their chief human resources officer. And they actually had her on the executive team. I mean, holy shit, what a concept. Um, If you don't know that world, it's so fascinating to me how little power sometimes HR leaders have. I think it's absolute ridiculousness. Um, But a lot of times they're not even on the executive team. And so that's not something that is really thought about. Same with marketing, uh, you know, CMOs. They are oftentimes not on the executive team, which is so fascinating to me and really quite stupid if you really think about it. So she was saying, you know, I'm going on this company retreat. Everybody's going to drink. And everybody talks about what they're going to drink. I mean, they're already talking about their hangover remedies. And she's like, I don't want to drink in this environment. Number one, I don't think I should in my job role. But she said, I'm scared for a couple of reasons. If I don't drink, they are going to be more tight-lipped. I know they're going to have conversations away from me intentionally. I know they're going to stay up late. I'm not because I'm not drinking, which is such a fun little side advantage of not drinking is like you don't sit around for four hours talking about the same shit for four straight hours. You talk about what you want to talk about and then you go to bed at like a reasonable hour, which I really love. So, you know, she's like, I'll go off to bed and then they'll get into the real conversation. And it just made me think of how much of our work environments are set up in that way. And maybe why women in particular are not given you know, the seat at the table, or if they do have the seat at the table, they're not actually invited into the conversation. So, you know, oftentimes I would hear guys saying like, oh yeah, like they're going to come over and we're going to taste bourbon or uh, we're going to go out and go to this new bourbon bar and, you know, try bourbon. Well, I hate bourbon. Like even when I was drinking, I would never drink bourbon. 
And so that automatically excludes me. It's like almost like the new version of golfing for men in the work environment. When I first started, that was the thing. Like all the dudes went out and golfed. And I'm like, number one, I'm probably a better athlete than most of you. Um, so I could probably out golf you if we really like looked at that. I'm not the greatest golfer in the world, but I'm naturally a pretty decent athlete. And so some of these people, they're like, yeah, we're going golfing. I like would almost just roll my eyes because I'm like, good luck with that, buddy. Like, let's see how that's going to work out for you. But, you know, they would do those types of things. And I don't I truly don't think they were intentionally leaving me out. But do I think maybe there was a, you know, subconscious thing going on there where they were like, well, we want to have these kinds of conversations and we can't do that if we've got women there. We're going to have to kind of, you know, filter out what we want to say, et cetera. That happens when you're in leadership, too. You know, I stopped getting invited to the things because people wanted to talk shit about work, you know, and I'm like, I get it. I totally get it. You know, I was in that that space, too. So most of my career, I was a drinker, you know, so it was like that didn't really dawn on me. I do remember thinking as a younger career professional how lame all these, you know, 40 and 50 somethings were because they weren't going out with us. And they were just listening to some of our stories and I think just like shaking their heads like, yep, it's a good decision for me not to go to these, you know, activities. But, you know, in my 20s, I was a nurse working at the bedside. And if you don't know anything about nurses, we can party. And we would often spend time together on the weekends, you know, like we're kind of a unique breed. So we were... (laughs) you know, spending a lot of time on weekends together. And, you know, it was pretty much all under the age of 30 with no kids people and then some empty nesters that would filter in, you know, or or people that had older kids. It was rarely ever people in the thick of parenting that would come out and, you know, drink with us. And so I remember thinking how lame that was. And like I created, you know, these relationships with these people, some of them still intact. So it's not like they were just like drinking buddies that I have nothing in common with. That's not true. I actually really love many of those people still to this day and still have a relationship with them, you know, 20 years later. And so it just made me kind of think of like, gosh, like how ostracizing that is for people to not be a drinker. Another example I was thinking about was a sales leader that I knew at one point, and she and I did not work together uh, as a client, but she was talking to me about this experience as being a sales leader. She traveled all over the country, sometimes the world, and it was all schmooze, entertaining. This was in the pharmaceutical industry. So she was schmoozing, entertaining, buying drinks for people. Many of them were men, and so like they could drink more than she could in most cases. That's not always true. But that was something that she really struggled with. And she's like, and then when I decided that I really actually didn't want to drink at all anymore, that was a real challenge. And I had to hide it. And I had to pretend like I was drinking a gin and tonic. And I had to lie essentially about what was going on. But she's like, man, did I learn a lot? Like I sat there and just listened to people, watched conversations get repeated watch them get a little more loose-lipped, and it was actually really a superpower for me to be a sober one in the environment. But that was something that took her a long time to get to. Now there's a lot less of that, you know, throwing all the money around, buying them, you know, a $600 bottle of wine, stupid, ridiculous, right? 
but that was the stuff she was doing. Now she is not so much doing that type of work. And there's, you know, regulation around some of that, too, as, you know, in my opinion, there should be. Like, come on. So that was another example of just someone feeling other. And I think that's what this is about. Like, if we have a culture that is focused in on alcohol, partying, playing video games in the office, playing sports, you know, like all the people get together and play, uh, you know, co-ed softball, but I'm not an athlete. Like there's just so many opportunities for us to, I think, bring other people in or have different activities that aren't surrounded by sort of like, it just reminds me of like bro culture in high school. Like the cool jocks and the people that drank, like those are the people that were cool. And I'm like, Y'all people, we are well past that. And I don't really see anything cool about either one of those things. I think it's great if that's the avenue you go towards. I was an athlete. I really enjoyed playing sports. It taught me a lot of really valuable lessons. But I also really admire musicians and performers. And that was probably where I had more talent, to be honest. But it was just not the path I went down because I wanted to fit in. And that is what I'm talking about here. I think there's so much fitting in going on, especially when it comes to alcohol use, or people just don't go because they feel so uncomfortable. And if they're, we were a drinker and now they're not a drinker or they're trying to not be a drinker, that can really throw people off because they know them as this version. So there's just a lot, a lot of opportunity here. You know, when I posted that TikTok, there were so many people in the comments that said, yeah, I've been hiding my drinking for decades or, you know, for years. I will go up and get, you know, a gin or a tonic and just say, hold the gin. Sometimes I'll get there early and I will ask the bartender to only bring me non-alcoholic stuff, even when I order a gin and tonic. And I'm like, geez, that's a lot of effort, right? And a lot of mental space that's coming into play. As you're sitting there listening to people talk, I would imagine, and I've experienced this, where I'm like, oh, maybe I could just have one. Like, like they seem like they're having fun. I'll just have one. And then when they get about two drinks in, then I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want one because this is what's going to happen. And I don't want anything to do with this. I don't like the person I am or the way that I behave or the shame that I experienced the next morning about what I might have said, what I didn't say. All of those things. I don't like that. And so it's like, no, 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 no. So there's just like all that mental capacity that is being taken up instead of having really good conversations. The other thing that I think comes up a lot is if your boss is a drinker and let's say, you know, bourbon is their thing and you're looking to get promoted. I think there's kind of this power dynamic there that we need to check in on to be sure that we are not playing favorites to people that have similar habits to us or that we are not secretly afraid of their judgment if they are not drinkers. So we want to keep them at a distance. We want to keep them at an arm's length. And that's not fair to that person. That is not leadership. That is self-serving. And that is a huge area of opportunity for, for I think, so many people. It's like, we're chasing around and these these comments were all over the place in this particular TikTok. And I'll put the link in the show notes because I find it just fascinating. You have to look at some of the comments. 
But people were like, yeah, it's just like high school all over again. The most popular, loudest dude in the room is the boss, barking orders with everybody and driving the whole culture. They're usually drinkers. They're not all that solid. You know, so there's just all these comments that were there. I did say in there that uh, executives don't know what they're doing. And that got some backlash and some praise because they're like, like all these people were like, yeah, we know. <laughs> like, we know you have no idea what you were doing. And I found that to be really interesting because it it's like, I don't know. I feel like we we say we're faking it till we make it. And like people are not dumb. They figure this out real fast. And I got some comments. Oh, like I'm an executive and I know what I'm doing. And I'm like, look, I'm not saying you're walking into work puzzled every day and sitting there doing nothing. What I'm saying is that you're making decisions, typically calculated decisions with data, with information. And you're making decisions about the future of the company, and you are not a predictor of the future because nobody is. Nobody can do it. There's so many surprises that come my way as a business owner. I've been doing this for, you know, four and a half years, and I get surprised all the time about the things that actually pan out and the things that don't. And so I can guarantee that it's happening even to the brightest, most highly functioning executive teams. That is happening to you, too. So let's not get on our high horses like we have something extra special about us that allows us to be able to make these really great decisions. It does not mean you are not smart. It does not mean you are not qualified. It does not mean that you have not earned that seat as an executive. But I will say that I don't necessarily believe you have something that is so much more amazing than that frontline worker does. I just don't, I don't buy it. Like I'm not buying it. So, you know, I came from healthcare. So I was in the executive seat in the healthcare world, but I had a pretty fast rise to the top. And so I did not forget what it was like to be a bedside nurse. And part of my job was that I had to go and work as a bedside nurse one day a week, which I thought was brilliant. So, you know, some days I didn't want to. It's really hard work. Um, some days I wanted to be able to have more flexibility and not have to be there right at 730 and work a 10 hour shift. But it was really valuable for me to stay in that. And I saw this huge dissonance between those two worlds. I mean, huge. The stuff that they thought was going on in the front on the front lines at the executive level was completely inaccurate. So they would make up all these stories because they would start to sense some things and they would fill in the gaps. Because that's what we do as humans. We fill in the gaps when we don't know what's going on, when we don't have transparency. So that was really obvious to me where I'm like, I don't think we communicate very effectively to the people on the front line to help them understand what's going on. So lots of stories were made up, not accurate. Then I'd go sit at the executive table. So it was like, you want to talk about cognitive dissonance? You're like, what? And I would be sitting there and listening to what they're talking about. And I'm like, no way. Like, this is what's going on at the executive table. We got bigger problems than this, number one. And number two, we have no idea what's going on in the front lines. You have no idea what is actually happening. And so there's so much opportunity here. I'm not saying we don't need executives. I do think we need leaders. I think Sometimes there are too many executive seats filled and way too much money headed uh, towards executives. That was also mind-boggling because I never saw that coming. 
as someone who went to nursing school, two parents that didn't go to college. Hey, if I could make 60 grand a year, I was thrilled. And, you know, at the time, that was actually a lot of money. Um, now it's like you can't even pay bills with that. So, um, you know, that I was thrilled with that. And when I first, you know, got my salary bonus, all those things as an executive, I'm like, holy shit, like this is ridiculous. Like I'd almost felt like too much, you know. Um, now for somebody that grew up in an environment where like their parents got that, their, you know, everybody around them had parents that were making well over six figures. That would feel very normal to them. That was not normal to me. Like my parents, my dad was a plumber. My mom did quite well for herself, um, but it, it was it was without a college degree. It was a lot of hard work and just kind of working her way up. And that took a lot of time. So I didn't see that as a young kid. You know, I saw my mom as my mom. You know, I mean, she was doing most of the housework and cooking and all of those things. And she stayed at home with us till I was five and I was the youngest. So, you know, that was kind of what I was able to see. And so I'm not judging either side of this or, you know, it's just more like I think it, a perfect example of if you can't see somebody doing it right in front of your eyes, it's really hard to imagine yourself doing it. So that has been a, you know, kind of powerful lesson for me to surround myself with people that are doing bigger things than I'm doing so I can see what that looks like and I can see that that is possible and I can see that that person who is also a mom and a sister and a daughter and um, a wife, you know, all these other labels that we have or hats that we wear and she's doing this amazing thing and you can tell that it is lighting her up. So wonderful. Like, let's keep going towards that. So the more and more people I surround myself with in that space, the more successful I am or the more fulfilled, I would say I am in the work that I do because I am constantly reminded to go back to really what fulfills me and the people will come. Like it's not been a challenge to find the people when I'm in that space of abundance, uh, my own abundance, in that I don't need to put on a mask or become somebody else in order to get clients. I can just be myself. And so that's what I love about this podcast, too, is because it just feels really honest to me. You know, I can share my honest thoughts and I'm really not holding things back. So I love that. You know, I think that's why I love doing it so much. I've, I've mentioned that a few times on the podcast that I really love this part of what I do. I say this to other people, too. I think that's part of it is that I can be authentic. So back to this idea of alcohol and work. And when we think about wanting to be authentic. You know, I'm working with a, a guy who lost his job. Um, he was at an executive level. He's got time to figure it out because he gets packages, which don't even get me started on that because, you know, whatever. But anyway, um, so he's got time to figure it out. And that was what he said to me this week. He said, I do not ever want to put a mask on again. And I want to be able to just go in to any work environment and be my authentic self. I think that's why I've been so miserable because I've been putting all these masks on for what I think they want out of me. And I'm like, oh, yes, damn, dude, take the masks off. You're going to figure this out. Let's go. You know, so there is so much energy there. And you could see it like there was like peace in the way that he was saying it. Like he looked at peace. And God, I love that. Like we need so much more of that. Now, I will say, I think some of this is self-inflicted. I think sometimes we believe that if we show up as ourselves, we will not be accepted. We will not fit into the group. 
We will not get the promotion if we say the one wrong thing that is authentic to us, but it doesn't fit into maybe the culture or doesn't fit into the conversation or the group. I will say that some of that is self-inflicted in some environments. I think it is absolutely true that there are some environments that want you to keep the mask on, to walk like the lemming, talk like the lemming. Actually, I think lemmings didn't talk, but you know what I mean. So like do all the things, like look the part, act the part, be the part. So you're almost playing a character. And don't you dare show any side of you that might be considered vulnerable or, you know, something that might be just a little strange about you. Um, I love when people share strange things about them. Like that makes me so much more interested in them. I mean, I can't even tell you. Maybe that's just me. But I am so much more interested when people tell me things like, oh, I don't drink. I've never drank. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's way more interesting than somebody that's like, oh, yeah, I drink bourbon. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Because everybody right now is drinking bourbon and they have been for a long time. And that's all I hear about. Um, Can you tell? I don't know if you can tell this or not, but my husband is a bourbon drinker and his friends are bourbon drinkers. And they just sit and talk about bourbon. And like, I know it's their hobby. And I just don't give a shit. And I, I'm i like, this feels like a kind of low-level conversation. So that's going to be me being a little judgy for sure. And I do think this, honestly. So I'll just throw that out there. Like, this is a pretty low-level conversation. I would rather talk about the leadership lessons that the Barbie movie showed us in pop culture. You know, like <laughs> like deep shit is what I'd rather talk about. Not about bourbon and the stupid tasting profile. I don't care. Probably wine would be would have been mine. Like I was kind of a douchebag around wine. Like, oh, I only drink this kind of wine. And I only drink, oh, I have to have the expensive stuff. And oh, I really, really am into Pinot Noirs right now. You know, like I was, it was so ridiculous. Like, I, come on. Like after the first glass, I didn't even know what I was drinking. Like it didn't, like all the taste was gone. So I think there's just a lot of opportunity for us to push ourselves to be more authentic in the work environment. And if that means not drinking and that is what's best for you, then let's own it, right? Let's own it. Let's not be self-righteous about it. Um, Let's not be judgy about it. Like, oh, you're talking about your bourbons again. What a low-level conversation you're having. We want to obviously be respectful that people are not where we are and that's okay. They have every right to be exactly where they are. That's where they're supposed to be. So uh, being cautious about that, because we certainly don't want to come off as that way, but also just kind of owning it with a confidence that is intrinsic to you. It has nothing to do with what's going on externally. So I think owning that is really powerful. And I think there's actually people that are really paying attention, good leaders that notice that will, they will likely get you a promotion or get you to the tables that you need to be at because they're admiring that about you. So I think there's that. I also think the work environment has a lot of opportunity to allow for authenticity, to allow for, you know, people to wear their hair however the hell they want. That was one of the biggest things that was shocking to me is how much we talked about dress code. I'm like, Jesus, like this cannot be what we're talking about at the executive table. Who gives a shit if the nurse wants to have tattoos and that's how they identify as, you know, artistic or that's how they show themselves who cares? Like, does that, like, if they're making med airs, then we have a problem. But if they're tattooed and they're doing great work and they're not screwing things up and making medication errors and all those things, who cares? Like, let them do whatever they want to do. And, you know, like, there's a whole lot that I've learned over the last few years around race and what is possible for people's hair and how 
black women feel like they have to straighten their hair to go into a mostly working uh, or white working environment or when they go in for the interview. You know, I've had several black women tell me that, oh, yeah, I've made sure I looked very white as I walked in. And that is heartbreaking to me. I mean, it really is that any of us have to do anything like that in a work environment. And then no wonder we want to drink because we kind of want our authentic side to come out. And we have this illusion that alcohol helps the authentic side of us come out. I don't think that's true. I think sometimes some of the things we want to say or do come out when we're drinking. But I don't think that's fully who we are. I think if we're regularly drinking, we have no damn clue who our authentic self is. I know that has been my journey. I have come into my own over the last three years, really understanding who I am, really understanding what's important to me. I have clarity around almost everything in my life because I'm not drinking regularly. So if you want authenticity, if that's truly where you're desiring and you don't want to put the mask on. And side note, the person I was talking about that says he doesn't want to do that ever again is sober and has been sober for a long time. And so I find that to be really interesting too, where it's like, gosh, he didn't have the alcohol outlet to pretend and be able to put on a different character, right? Like he's pretending to be this character and he didn't have the other character in the story, which was drinking character. So we'll call it like, let's say like drinking Barbie versus buttoned up work Barbie, you know? So I think those are both just characters we're playing. We are not, that is not who we are authentically. And so I think that's the word of encouragement for this week is to find some areas where you can be authentic. Tell somebody at work about your weird hobby that you do. It might actually intrigue them. They might be more interested in you. Who knows? Tell somebody at work that you don't drink or just show up and not drink and don't say a word. And if people ask questions about it, then you answer those questions honestly. There's so much opportunity here. Wear whatever the fuck you want to work. Wear whatever you want. I I truly think we have a pandemic of masking everywhere. Like, and we're so exhausted by it. You can only do it for so long. You can only show your social self for so long before your essential self is like, stop it. This is not who we are. And guess what? If you find out that you don't fit into that culture and there are negative consequences for you being authentic, cool. Like now we know. Now we know this is not your environment. You are too, maybe it's not the right thing to say, too good. They are not good enough for you. We'll just say that. They're not good enough for you, for your authentic self. It doesn't mean they're not good enough for anyone or for a, a whole host of people. It's just not for you. So let's move on and look for that environment. Take note of the things that you really want. Um, really scan that next opportunity for these things that you really need, this ability to be authentic. Maybe you show up to an interview with whatever hair you want, tattoos showing, your pregnant belly clearly showing, you know, like maybe you show up in that way and maybe that's the test. Maybe that is the test, right? Like if they don't, if they don't hire you, then cool, move on. Like this is, we're good. So, and I, I do recognize there's a lot of privilege in what I'm saying. I think most of the listeners of this podcast 
um, probably are fairly privileged people. So we'll just throw that out there. So there's a lot of privilege in what I'm saying. Let's just not go there because that could be like six different podcasts. So my charge for you this week, and I've tried to give you some things that are tangible to take with you for the week, is that I want you to find an area that you feel like you're masking or putting on a front. And it could be something real small. Like people are probably not even going to notice if you start to do this. And I want you to start doing what really feels good to you, what really, what really you want. Like what makes you feel the most confident, strongest version of yourself and do it. And let's just see what happens. Like let's experiment. Like we've been experimenting with all these, you know, other areas of life and growing and let's just find a different way. If you're feeling that way about the masking and the authenticity, let's try a different way. It's all I'm asking. Have a great week. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded for my weekly Wednesday episodes. If you're curious about my programs and options of ways to work with me, check out rachelpritz.com. And if that's not interesting to you right now, no problem. Just keep listening along for free. Either way, I'm here for you.